Awesome. I heard my microphone was a little out of wax, so I just switched. How are you guys doing today? Good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it is unique times, and um, there are plenty of places you can go to get opinions. What you don't need today is another opinion. What you need and what I need from, from this platform is the Word of God. Okay? So let's see what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. It is interesting. It's a different time. It's a unique time. Um, they did not prepare me for this time at Central Bible College. Transparently, transparently, as I was thinking about that this week, they never told me about pandemics, but it's not their fault. They were still, at that time, recovering from Y2K. Um, all of the computers in the whole you know, world had spontaneously burst into flames. Civilization had burned to the ground. And so, you know, it took a little time for them to recover from that. And so they didn't get into the pandemic class at, at Central Bible College. Um, but, but with that said, I do have some really foundational things that hold me and should hold all of us through times just like this. I will say I find it incredibly interesting how interconnected we all really are. Less than two months ago, this started on the other side of the world and here we are in little old Springfield, Missouri. And yet somehow, now already, we have, last week it was one, now two cases here in Greene County. What a world we live in. And we are much more connected than I think we pretend sometimes. There's not as much space between us. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about what God would say for us to interact in times just like this. So you can open it up to praise.fyi on your phone, which is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation in particular today instead of the ESV. There's some reason for that. Um, but uh, I've been finding myself having more and more affection for the New Living Translation of late. Um, I, I, I think that their translation in this instance in particular is a little bit closer to normal. So I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I normally read from the ESV. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, so you can grab your Bible, grab your phone, however you might see it. Turn to Philippians chapter 1 today. While you're getting there, um, Paul, when he uh, wrote this, was probably in Rome, in prison. And what's really interesting is very clearly in the letter, you can see how much he is trying to impact and interact with this church in Philippi, um, even from a place of not being able to be present with them. He can't get his fingers in the dirt, right? And so when you read Philippians, you see that there were at least five different people who, gone, who went back and forth between Rome and Philippi within a period of like two years that this is happening back and forth, back and forth. He really wants to be as present as he can, even as he cannot be present. Okay, so he wants to be a part of the direction of this church, and so he does everything in his power to be able to impact the direction of that church. And so he begins in Philippians chapter 1 with talking about one of the ways that he can impact the direction of that church more than anything else. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. I pray. I pray. We could stop right there. I pray. Doug Clay President Trump, J.D. Greer, 
All around the world, churches are going to be praying in just a moment. And as we participate in that, I don't want anybody in here to think that that is somehow a fruitless endeavor. Paul says, how am I going to impact? I can't get my fingers in the dirt. So what does he say he's going to do? He's going to ask God to get his fingers in the dirt. He begins by saying, I pray, and that is not fruitless. He does that over and over and over again for every single church he leads. You read the many prayers that Paul offers up for the churches that he is leading and directing and guiding through this process. Philippians is a church that was close to his own heart. It's the first church he planted, and so he loves this church, and he wants to be there. He cannot be there, so what is his response? His response is to pray, and when we pray in a little bit, I don't want to, me just pray and you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, amen, mm-hmm, what was that, oh yeah, mm-hmm, I want that the body of believers here at Praise Assembly would recognize that there is something about a voice lifted in prayer, and not just mine, but the believers across this congregation all joining together in voices, a concert really truly of hearts in prayer to God. Okay, so that's what I'm asking for. I don't want, I don't want to mm-hmm every now and then. I'll call you out on the spot. And, and a lot of times what happens when one person prays from the front is everybody else like starts praying real hard. Yes, Lord, amen, I'm with him, amen, yes, I believe it too. And then they stop As long as I'm praying, here's what I'm asking for you to do. Join with me in prayer. Speak it out. I think there is something very important in our prayers about literally speaking them, opening our mouths and saying them. So join with me in that in just a moment. He says, I pray, and here's what I pray for you. I pray that your love will overflow more and more And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. What does he pray for them? Actually, you know one of the most interesting things? Is the things that Paul prays for all of the different churches that he leads. Check how many times he prays for somebody's healing. Check how many times he asks for God to remove somebody from leadership. It ain't there. You want to know the kind of thing that Paul prays for? This right here. He prays, here's my prayer. In the midst of the situation you're in right now, I can't be with you. I'm in prison. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to specifically pray that here's the thing, that you would overflow with love. That your love would be obvious to those around you. And that's as if that's not enough. I want you to understand what really matters. Some people are freaked out. If you think you're freaked out, there are some people who are really freaked out. Like a week ago, I don't know if you followed it, but the very first case in Missouri That was in St. Louis County. Young lady in her 20s comes back from Italy, immediately self-quarantined, starts noticing that there's some issues or something obvious happening. So she shows up at the public health department and says, hey, I got an issue. 
They check her, and she does, in fact, have the COVID-19 virus. So she goes back and self-quarantines again. Everybody's very impressed. Her dad and her sister go to a school dance. Maybe not quite as much personal responsibility, but the backlash, it was vicious. It was ugly. It was the kind of thing that you look at and you say, what in the world are we capable of as humanity? I mean, let's just be honest. I watched it and I was broken for them. I read it and I was like, what, are, what in the world are people thinking as if this is helping? But this is what we do. We are, incap- are capable of incredible, evil, and terrible things in the face of fear. And he says here, that's important for you in the midst of whatever you're going through to not overflow with. Overflow with love. And for you and for me, now that there's two cases in Greene County, how are we going to respond to that? What's going to happen when we are confronted with a situation just like that? Are we going to react with viciousness and anger, or are we going to overflow with love? He says, here's my desire for you. Here's what I pray, that you would know what really matters. And then he spells out what really matters, down in verse 27. So if you just skip down to verse 27, he tells us, here's what really matters. So this is what I want you to understand in your life, what really matters. Verse 27, here's what he says. Above all. Above all. So he says, as I'm putting together a list, this is not number 10. This is not number 15. This is not number 20, 25, 35. This is number one. Above all. All the other reasons, everything else, above all, this is what I want you to know. You must live as citizens of heaven. You may not know this about me, but I'm a nerd. I know, shocker. Some of you, literally, I watched as you rocked back. Thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) For those of you who pretended like you were shocked. Um, No, I'm a nerd. I'm specifically a history nerd, though. I love history. Specifically, even more than just specifically, extra super specifically, I love history of nations that were impacted by and impacted the Word of God. Right? Those who are kind of connected with it, and you see them, and they're kind of side stories in the Word of God. I I love that kind of history, and I read it a whole lot. And you know what's interesting? Where the name Philippi came from, you know who that came, was named after? One person knew it was Philip. You all should have known. Like, what are the other options? Somebody named Gertrude? Like, it's going to be a guy named Philip if it's named Philippi, right? But the Philip that it's named after is Philip II, Philip of Macedonia. He had a bunch of different names. Um, he was Alexander the Great's father. Okay? So about 400 years before Paul writes Philippi, Before Alexander the Great conquered the known world at that time, his father was kind of a big deal himself. 
obviously a very humble man. He named a city after himself. The city started as like a military outpost. So, so they were pressing into Macedonia. They used it as an outpost to be able to do that. Once they had kind of conquered that area, they built it up and turned it into a city. He built a little uh, a stadium there that became a Roman Colosseum once the Romans came in. So this is Philip, okay, started that kind of city named after him, Philippi, about 100 years before Paul writes Philippians. And this is hugely important for those who are history nerds to know. The most important battle in the history of the Roman Empire happened right there. And I'm not exaggerating that in the least. Here's why. Because about 2060-ish years ago, there was a guy who was assassinated on the Roman Senate floor. Anybody know who that was? Julius Caesar. Does anybody know what day that happened? The Ides of March. That is today, March 15th. This is the Ides of March. Beware. Okay, anyways. So Julius Caesar was at the time obviously expanding his power, but he was not an emperor. He was a consul. Okay? The senators, specifically two, Marcus Brutus and Cassius, led a kind of revolt against that. They were concerned he was getting too much power. They were concerned that the republic would no longer be a republic, but would become an empire. So they led other senators in murdering him, assassinating him on the Senate floor. It all happens, right? Uh, Marcus Brutus and Cassius thought they had a ton of support. Turns out they didn't. They had a good amount, but they thought the Roman citizens would get behind them. Yes, cast off the dictator. Didn't happen. They had to flee for their lives. They took with them 17 Roman legions, which is 90,000 Roman soldiers. Guess where they went? Right here. Philippi. So then the Romans come after them, led by Mark Antony, Julius Caesar's number two, and Octavian, Julius Caesar's nephew. They gather 21 Roman legions, 110,000 Roman soldiers. And where do they meet? At Philippi. Massive battle. And not just a battle against two guys against two guys. There are 200,000 Roman soldiers going head to head. The elite of the elite as far as militaries are concerned in that day, right? Like both sides are Roman soldiers, 110,000 versus 90,000. And it's for the soul of the republic. Because if Brutus and Cassius win, remains a republic led by the Senate. If Octavian and uh, Mark Antony win, it becomes a dictatorship, an empire, supposedly. They didn't know that fully, but that's what they thought. Anyways, Octavian, Mark Antony win. Massive battle. After that, Octavian takes out Mark Antony becomes the first Roman emperor, changes his name to Caesar Augustus, who is the one who issued the decree for a census to be taken of the entire Roman world when Jesus is born, okay? Massive battle, 200,000 soldiers arrayed on either side. What do you do with all the dead and dying? They take all the dying, they take all those who are injured, and they settle them in Philippi. And they name them Roman citizens, earned by their service. So if there's a place that knows about citizenship, it is the people in Philippi. Another 10 years after that, Octavian, now Augustus, 
decides to name Philippi what is called Ius Italicum, Italian law. Only the emperor can do this. And he only names 15 cities outside of Italy, Ius Italicum. Gives them an incredible Roman status of even though they're off of Italian soil, it means Italian law, that it's as if this was Italian soil, Italian, right? Like Italian, whatever you want to say. This is special, right? Everybody who's there, you bear a child, that child's automatically a Roman citizen. You don't have to pay some of the taxes that others around you have to pay. And while they have to obey the laws of whatever land they're in, like in Jerusalem, you have Pilate, and he's like, oh, this isn't my jurisdiction, sends him over to Herod. He tells the uh, Sanhedrin, hey, you judge him according to your law. Like, there's all these different conflicting laws. In, Philipp- in Philippi, that's not the case. It's Roman law. They were considered to be Italian soil here. This is a place of incredible honor. He, s- he actually then settled additional Roman soldiers there. So this is a place that understands citizenship. And Paul goes into Philippi, what happens? They beat him, and what does he say? I'm a Roman citizen, and what happens? They freak out. Wait, what? You are who? That's a big deal. How'd you get that? I paid a great deal for mine. Paul understood the benefits of citizenship, and he understood the costs of citizenship. And so did the people in Philippi. And Paul presses in, and he says, listen here. If you are part of the kingdom of God, your citizenship is in heaven. Everybody else is obeying a different set of laws than you. Yes, you're there. Yes, you need to pay attention to those things. But you have something else going on. You have a citizenship in heaven. This is like as if you were to go into the VA because if there's anybody who understands the rights or the, the cost of citizenship, it's veterans, right? You talk to a veteran, they understand what it costs to buy a citizenship, right? They understand the costs of building something like that. But Paul walks right into that and tells them, um, your primary citizenship is not here, it's there. He's not afraid of it. And he steps right into it. He said, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Worthy of the good news. What do you think that means? To be worthy of the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that none of us are worthy. Right? So what is Paul saying here? Because the good news is that I can't earn it on my own. I'm not good enough. And Jesus Christ paid the price so that I could have access to God. But then Paul is saying, live your lives in such a way, conduct your citizenship in such a way that you are worthy of the good news. And I struggled with this. What is this saying? 
And it wasn't until I thought back to something that I told you guys last year that I think I, I need to bring into this conversation again. Because it was about a year ago, that, and I'm sorry that I made it to this point in my life, but I did not have enough value placed in my heart, let's speak just transparently, on veterans. I didn't. I recognized that. I did not care enough about what veterans were, had done for me. I didn't honor those which Scripture says very clearly you're supposed to honor. There's no doubt. The, this, the Bible's true, but I... I looked in my heart and I'm like, yeah, really, I don't get it as much as I should. And I recognize that and I realize that this needs to be a heartfelt thing, biblically, right? And so what I did in order to change that was I just decided every time that the flag here at Praise Assembly needs to go to half staff, I'm the one to do it. Not because I care so much, but because I care too little. And so every time I drove in from Fair Grove, because it was one of those days that the flag was going to half staff or was going back to full staff, the entire way, what am I thinking about? Our veterans. And it turned my heart. I recognized more the honor that was deserved and the price that was paid. I read this passage and I'm like, what? how could I ever be worthy of the good news? There's nothing I can do to earn that. And so I read and I struggled with this and I read everything that somebody might say. I read every time in the New Testament that Paul talks about being worthy of something. He says, be worthy of God, be worthy of the kingdom, be worthy of the good news here, be worthy of your calling, be worthy of Jesus' grace. Wait, what? That just got me more confused. You can't be worthy of any of those things. And then I found one instance where Jesus talked about this. You know what he said? He told a story. He said, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a master of the banquet. Sent out an invitation. He said, come. One guy says, no, I got my farm. Someone else says, no, I got this. So Jesus says, the master of banquet, he said, fine. You go out. You shake the trees. You beat the bushes. You go to every street. You find whoever you can find, and you invite them. Right before he says that, you know what he says? For those other people were found unworthy. Wait. What was it that made them unworthy? That they looked at the banquet and said, meh, I got my farm. That in their mind, the banquet did not have enough worth. And they would rather do this thing. What is Paul saying then? He is saying, live your lives with a recognition of the worthiness of the good news. Live out of that worth. And live in such a way that other people see the worth as well. He says, above all, You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. 
You are citizens. Live like it. Live worthy. Giving, showing the worth of the good news. Why is all of this important? This is important because last week when we sent out our first kind of video and letter, I used a word. I mean, it really is odd times. It's such an interesting thing. But I used a word, unprecedented. And I've been thinking about that. And it is unprecedented in my time here as pastor what's happening but I don't think that was the right word to use. In fact, I think that there is tremendous precedent. See, because less than 100 years after Paul writes Philippians, there was another battle on the eastern edge of the Roman Empire that point, the emperor was Marcus Aurelius. You might know him from the movie Gladiator. He's the good one at the beginning. They won against the Parthians. But they came back across the empire, and guess what they brought with them? A plague. It's known as the Plague of Antonine. You want to talk about a real plague took out 2,000 people a day in the city of Rome alone. We know because they had good records. 2,000 people a day at its height were dying, swept from the southeast all the way to the northwest, decimated the Roman Empire. Marcus Aurelius may have even died from it. Many people think he did. Marcus Aurelius said, here's what the cause is. It's Christians turning away from Roman gods, so persecuted. And yet, the church did not crumble. Instead, it exploded. You want to know why? Because as this plague was sweeping across the entire empire, everybody ran except the Christians. They stuck behind and they served. Exploded in growth. No more than 100 years after that, there was another plague. Different emperor, same response. Decius, what does he do? Persecutes the Christians. This plague is actually known as the plague of Cyprian. Why is it known as the plague of Cyprian? Cyprian was a bishop. You want to know how much the church exploded in growth? Between one plague and the next plague, the next plague was actually named after a Christian bishop. That's pretty cool. I mean, I don't know that I would want to have a plague named after me, but you get the idea. Same thing happens. This time the plague does not take out 2,000 per day. It takes 5,000 per day in the city of Rome. Again, great records. We know what happened. You know who kept the records? Cyprian. But again, others run. Christians serve. Others flee. Christians press in. And guess what? They die like everybody else. But again, the church explodes. 
because they weren't living like anybody else. Other people flee. They press in. There's tremendous precedent for what the church should be doing right now. Is not, let's be clear, this equals that. Okay, I'm not saying that. But there is a pandemic right now. And if nothing else, there is a pandemic of fear. Last week, I lost 25% of my retirement account. 25% of the savings that we had set aside for our kids' education. Okay? Those companies didn't somehow lose one quarter of their value. That happened because people are freaked out. And you and me, we know that our hope and our source is not the Dow Jones or the S&P 500. But there's a whole lot of people who don't. They look at it and they are legitimately freaked because that's all they got. So what do we do in the face of that sort of plague of fear and terror and just hysteria? We don't hunker down and we don't run away. We press in. And I read, I read about all the toilet paper and the pasta and I think, if you have 200 rolls of toilet paper and 40 boxes of pasta, praise God. God allowed you to do something very dumb for a very specific reason. That is so that you can serve your neighbors. Friends, check in on them. People are freaking out legitimately. And this is an opportunity not to hunker down and not to fall back, but to press in and to serve. I'm not saying go over and lick their doorknob. That's weird, and you'll get a shotgun to the face, okay? Just knock. Don't shake their hand. Say, hey, I just want to check on you, and I know I haven't talked to you in four and a half years, and it's been awkward, but I just wanted to see how you're doing because I know this is weird, and I can imagine it's weird for you too. And so I'm your neighbor, and I've got some stuff, and I know if you need stuff, I can help you with stuff. That's what we do. As others fall back, we press in, and the church explodes. There's tremendous precedent for what we do right now. So may we be the church, and it only works if we get that our citizenship is not here, it's there. And that we are living by a different set of laws, and there's a different provider and a different one sitting on the throne of our heart. That's the only way that works. Above all, know that you are a citizen of heaven and press in while others fall back. And I believe the church will explode again. That's how we do this. And so we're taking this as an opportunity as a church. We're taking it as an opportunity instead of, I mean, we don't know what the future holds. But for us, we've known for some time we needed to engage digitally. We've known that. I just wanted to lose 10 pounds before I was on camera. <laughs> no, that's not it. It was something like we wanted to do things with excellence. 
I wanted to be excellently 10 pounds less than I am. And so we just kind of held back a little bit, right? We kept saying, okay, we know we need to do that, but let's wait until we can do it perfectly or excellently. And I think God just gave us a shove. What an opportunity it is to serve better and engage more, even in a different way. And for you, this is the same thing. It is an opportunity, whether you recognize it or not. People are freaked. And you got hope that they don't have. Oh, bring it to them. Serve them in the midst of their plague of fear. Love them. Be kind to them. But do more than that. Check in on them. In fact, there's an opportunity right now for you on praise.fyi to respond. It's just there. On, if you open it up, it says press in. It's not a big deal. But all it is is an opportunity for us to say, hey, I'm available to be used. We would love for every single person over the age of 65 here at Praise to receive a call once a week to say, hey, how you doing? But we need people to help us with that. This is the church. This is an opportunity for us to press forward and be what we were always supposed to be. How you doing? There's an opportunity for you to say, I can run errands. Because there are people who cannot get out of their house. Maybe you can pick up groceries for them. Say, I can do that. Or maybe I can do anything you need. There's an opportunity for you to say that too. We've got two options here. We can live like all the people around us. We can hunker down in fear. We can run away. Or we can press in like Christians have been doing for millennia. And the church will explode. Psalm 90, verse 12, very clearly says, said, teach me to number my days so that I might gain a heart of wisdom. People are being confronted with their own mortality right now. Strips everything away, friends. All the things you think, that the idea that every day I just keep doing more and doing better and things keep getting better for me, all of a sudden you realize that doesn't actually work. And the good news turns that upside down and it we recognize that, boy, there is something fundamentally broken with the universe right now. You look around and you say, how in the world does that happen? There's something broken with the universe, friends. And you see all of this and you go, wait a second, I thought things were getting better, but they're not. People are confronted with it. Teach me to number my days. May I know that I ain't going to be here forever. And there will come a day when Jesus Christ will sit next to me, take me by the hand, say, Alan, it's time to get up. I am a citizen of a different place. And so I operate on rules from a different place. May we press in, not fall back. We're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We do want to pray today. We specifically want to pray for God to give us wisdom. 
We do want to pray for our neighbors. I'm the one who put those words on that sign, and I don't want those to be empty words. We are praying for you. We should do that. We need to pray for our leadership, for President Donald Trump, for uh, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, for Senator Mitch McConnell, for all those in government, all of our leaders at the federal level, international level, state level, local level. May God grant them wisdom for the best course of action and that which is in their hand to do. We do need to pray over our missionary families. May God work in their situations, cover them, protect them, keep them. Most of all, may they advance the good news. And we want to pray. Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. We need to pray. Oh God, save us from this pandemic. But most of all, save us from the pandemic of fear and of sin. Would you pray with me today? I want to hear a concert of prayer all across this room. Not just as I begin. And if you don't know what to pray, and if you've never prayed out loud, spoken words out loud, do it for the first time today. And it may be awkward for you, but there is something incredibly powerful about speaking prayers. And if you don't know what to pray, ask the Holy Spirit right now to lead you in what to pray. And allow Him to pray through you. Oh, Heavenly Father, you alone are holy and worthy and good and gracious. Oh, God, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, oh, God. And right now, as we come to you, it is just earth-shattering that we have opportunity to come into your very presence right now. And yet that's exactly what we have, oh God, because of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you for that right now because of what Jesus did. That's the good news, that right now I come and I don't have to cower and I don't have to be in fear, but I get to stand in the very throne room and bring my petitions to you, oh God. And so, Lord, I do that right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh God, hear our prayers today. Your arm is not shortened. Your ear is not dull. You hear today. You work today. You act today as a result of our prayers. And your word tells us to call out our leaders and we call them out by name right now. Say their names. Say their names. We call them out. President Trump, oh God, give wisdom to him. Lord, we know that the hearts are like water in your hands. You can move and use and work in them. And through them, oh God, whoever they might be, work through President Trump. Grant him wisdom today. He asked for a day of prayer, so we respond in prayer as the people of God, citizens of heaven, oh God. For Nancy Pelosi, give wisdom, O oh Lord, to her. 
Mitch McConnell, give wisdom for all of the congressmen and all the congresswomen and the senators, oh God, and all of those in federal government, for our state government, for government. Governor Parson, oh Lord, a person who loves you and serves you, oh God, grant wisdom to him in the declarations that are made and the paths that are walked, oh God. Grant wisdom to them today, oh God, we pray. And for all of our state senators and state congressmen, oh God, grant them wisdom. Grant them insight. And for our city and our county, for Bob Dixon and God, for uh, our mayor, Ken McClure, and for the head of our, our local health department, oh God, grant all of them wisdom and insight and help them to walk through this in such a way that it results in glory to you and your word growing. And Father, right now we call out our missionaries spread across the globe, oh God. Some hunkered down, some in isolation, some unable to go and visit their neighbors, oh God. Grant them wisdom and insight in how they might proclaim the gospel, the good news in their situation. Cover their children and protect them and keep them safe, oh God. Oh God, do what only you can do for them and may the good news take find new inroads. May it explode, oh God, today we pray in the name of Jesus we ask. We thank you for it. Oh, Lord, only you can do it. Father, right now, I do pray over our people. You know I've been praying for them. I've been praying for wisdom. I pray that they would pray before they post on Facebook. In the name of Jesus, help them to know every word and every meme and what it's speaking to those around them. Help them to be able to minister to their neighbors, oh God, and help them to be able to be a light in a dark place, oh God. Because only you can do it by their grace, by the grace that is shown through them because they are worthy of the good news, shown worthy as citizens of heaven, oh God. May that be the case, oh Lord. Cover and protect and keep our people, guard them from this coronavirus. God, I pray and I curse that in the name of Jesus. I ask for you to turn it back. Turn it back, oh God. Your hand is not shortened. Your arm is not shortened. Oh Lord, most of all, right now, I pray against the pandemic of fear. Oh God, I pray against hysteria. In the name of Jesus, turn that about. Oh Lord, for the church to have peace that surpasses all understanding, to guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That, Lord, that as they keep their minds stayed on you, you would keep their heart in perfect peace. Oh, God, may that be the case for believers all across this nation. And may they, as a result, have opportunities to witness. Father, I pray for churches that are not as well positioned as we are, who do not have savings and people like we have at praise. Oh, God, I pray against bankruptcies in small towns all around here. As they're affected by this, oh God, I pray right now that you would provide and help them. Lord, give them inroads in their communities. In the name of Jesus, we ask, we thank you for it. Oh God, you're good, you're good, you're good. And God, help us, lead us, guide us. Help us to be a people who don't fall back, but press in in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. And may your church globally do the exact same thing.
Father, ultimately, help us to number our days. Help us to have a heart of wisdom. Oh God, help us to see ultimately the pandemic of sin, which has infected us all. And oh God, without Jesus Christ, we have no hope. So, oh Lord, may we bring the good news in the name of Jesus, we ask. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, may your will be done through this. May your church explode. May the kingdom grow. May the good news be made known. In the name of Jesus, we ask. And thank you that we are citizens of heaven. Oh God, thank you that our citizenship is there with you. We are hidden with Christ in God. What confidence, what assurance, what hope today. Oh God, may we be different. May we be different. We may die the same as everybody else, but may we not live the same as everybody else. We ask in the precious and holy name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. I don't know what the future holds and the next time we t worship together, if it'll be in person, this may be our last time worshiping together for a few weeks in this room. So I want to end well. I want to end with a song. And I don't know if you heard just the incredible voice of the Spirit to you today. Peace. Bring it all to peace. May as we sing this, God do something in you, preparing you for whatever is ahead. In the name of Jesus today. Hallelujah. Oh God, as these people gathered right now, get ready to go their separate directions, I pray that they would go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And may every single one of them be found as citizens of heaven, worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. In your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. And as we scatter and some of us head to the east or the west, the north or the south, may you scatter, just as we said, the grace of Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship the Holy Spirit. We'll keep you updated, whatever comes. God bless you today. Give a holy air hug to somebody on your way out. God bless you.